All right, so we're going to be looking at Psalms 64 through 66 this morning in a message I've entitled Hard Reset. And, you know, for us, we live in a technological age. That's just when we live. That's just how it is. It's this moment in history is where God has placed us. And so there's really no avoiding technology. We're going to have to have it to some extent. And so we've all experienced this. We're on our phones or we're on our computer and we've opened too many apps or too many programs running in the background. And so things aren't working as they should. Things are getting too slow. And, and so at some point, especially this is dangerous if we haven't saved what we needed to save, we realize our device has frozen and we need a hard restart. We're going to have to do the dreaded thing where we're going to have to manually push that button, hold it down for an extended period of time, shut everything down, and hopefully those things that we needed will come back up. We know that that's how it is, and we accept that with our technology. Even though we might not like it, we have to do it. But sometimes for us as believers, we also need a hard reset. So many times we have all these apps and programs running in our lives, and we just say, well, maybe I'll just kind of let that run in the background, and I'll just add another app on top, and another app on top, and another program on top. And what really needs to happen to kind of switch metaphors over to building, sometimes we can't just keep on changing the wallpaper, adding things. Sometimes we've got to take it back down to the studs. Sometimes things just need to be torn out, systems need to be shut down so God can start something new. And I believe that that's what God wants to do in our lives. I don't believe that God is satisfied with us as believers kind of going through the motions. You know, going to church week after week or kind of going through our same things, but all we're really doing is just like, well, maybe if I just add this thing to my life, just do this new thing, instead of saying, God, would you take me down to the studs? Would you hard reset me? Any programs or apps or things that I've allowed into my life that are not worthy of you, that are not helping me draw near to you, that are not preparing my heart for heaven, would you stop those things? Would you debug you know, the, the computer, if you will? So that's what we're looking at today, and that's really my heart for you. you know, as, I, as I was thinking a lot about this message and praying over it this week and studying it, my hope is that the Lord would speak specifically to each one of you. And I don't know which part of the message that's going to be. I, I don't know what he has to say to you. But as I was thinking about it, it's like, why do I do these sermons? And, and really the Lord brought to me three things. Number one, I put together sermons for God himself. He's first that I put this together to honor him, to be obedient to him. But the second thing, or the reason why I think I put these sermons together is for me. <laughs> I need to be in the word. I need these things. And then thirdly, it's for you. So I, I hope that each of us gets something out of this. I hope the Lord is pleased with it. I hope that the Lord you know, speaks to me through it, and I hope he speaks to you through it. But what, what I ask you to be open to is just to be open to the truth. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to like me. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm not asking for any of these things. I'm not asking you to pat me on the back afterwards. I'm not asking you to leave me a maple donut. I'm not asking for any of those things. I'm just asking that you as a creation of God would be open to what the Holy Spirit might speak to you through his word. So let's jump into Psalm 64. We see it's to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. We'll look at verse 1. David cries out, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Now, it's interesting that word meditation there, it actually could be translated complaint. And so it has this idea of there's something bothering David. There's something that he's been thinking about. There's something that's a complaint in his heart. And so he's complaining and he, because he's fearing the enemy. Notice he says, preserve my life from the fear, from fear of the enemy. He's afraid. And what I want to say, first of all, is this reality. One of the things that I love about reading through the Psalms is we can all relate to it. This is life in a fallen world. We are going to have complaints. We are going to fear the enemy. We are going to have problems. The Lord has made it clear to me over and over again, as I forget this truth, that we're in a battle, that we're in a fight, that there's a spiritual war going on every moment of every day, and we don't truly get out of that battle until the Lord takes us home. Now, David does the right thing, though. Notice he doesn't get on Facebook. He doesn't make a YouTube video about all his complaints. What he does is he seeks the Lord. So please hear me. When you have a complaint, when you're fearful, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. 
I'm reading a book right now or listening to it. Uh, it's, it's called, you know, it's, it's a life of prayer, a praying life. I forget the title of it. Uh, but the idea is that, that all of our life should be about prayer, right? That's a constant thing. And that we have this opportunity, this great privilege at any moment of any day to go over the heads of state, to go over our family members, to go over our bosses, and to go directly to the one who can actually get things done. Go directly to the one who can change things. Hudson Taylor said, it's possible to move men through prayer alone. So, so we have that great privilege. That's where David is going. And so I want to give you a couple of verses to encourage you on this topic of when we have complaints and fears. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, I would highly, highly, highly recommend you memorize it. And then after you memorize it, I would highly, highly recommend that you recite it. You know, pray it back to the Lord, and then I would highly, highly recommend you to live by it. <laughs> Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, this is what Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to have to restrain myself as I move through these verses because my desire is going to be to just exposit each one of them. But, but just really quickly, take that energy that you were using for being anxious because it takes energy to be anxious. And instead of doing that, say, I'm not going to use any energy for anxiousness. I'm going to use all my energy for prayer and for supplication and for thanksgiving. That's where I'm going to direct my heart. And then he says that this peace of God which will come upon us, it surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. There's no way for us to explain it. So, so God is going to give us that peace. And notice that peace is going to guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But if we say, you know what, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to supplicate. I'm not going to offer up things to God. I'm not going to be thankful for guess what? You're going to be anxious. But when you say, I refuse to live in my anxiousness, I refuse to give into it. I refuse to feed it. Instead, I'm going to pray even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to ask God to move even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to thank him even when I don't feel like it. What's going to happen? That peace that surpasses understanding is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of scripture. Next, next one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Peter begins, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Okay, here's what. So you and I, we're fearful, we're anxious. What do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves. The Lord spoke to me this week. Who are people who are angry all the time are tyrants. Tyrants are angry. Why are tyrants angry? Because they want to be in control. They want to do, they want their will done. And anyone who goes against them, they're against it. But you know who's, who's not angry is a true servant. Because a true servant says, I'm not in control. I'm not the boss. I, it, it, these things are, are not, don't belong to me. This is God's world. These are God's people. My wife is, is, belongs to God. My children belong to God. My job belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. I'm merely a servant. So what I can do is if when you and I humble ourselves as servants under the mighty hand of God, this is what God says he'll do. It says that he may exalt you in due time. The day that, that due time speaks of the specific season. The day is coming for every humble servant of God to be exalted. The day is coming where you are going to, you know, as you, you serve the Lord, you humble yourself. The day is coming where he's going to raise you up. Now, that's most likely going to be in the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and new earth, but it's going to be an awesome time. And then what we can do, though, it says continue on in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. So he's going to exalt you in due time, and this is what it says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. But we're to humble ourselves first, trusting that in due time he will exalt us, and then as we humble ourselves before him as a servant, to the master, then we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. So, so there's these wonderful things. So I'm going to encourage you, memorize these scriptures, meditate on these scriptures, believe these scriptures, pray these scriptures. You know, there, there's one of these sayings, it's kind of a coaching saying, you know, if you want something different, you have to do something different. If you and I are going through these kind of same struggles, same difficulties, we can't have that breakthrough we need to do something different. We need to take God at his word and trust him. Let's continue on. Let's look at verses 2 through 6 now. Psalm 64. David writes, Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword, and bend their bows to shoot 
their arrows, bitter words, they may sh- that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. They have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. So here David is really, he's expanding on the schemes of the ungodly. If you're familiar with the scriptures, this is a very familiar type of passage. This, these sections of, of, of scripture. That there's this idea that the ungodly are always scheming. You know what, and you don't have to take too long. You can go on, you know, and there's entire channels, uh, you know, and cable providers dedicated to crime. <laughs> you know, dedicated to all these bad things. And there's, there's all kinds of crime out there. We know the ungodly do these things. Now, David is specifically talking about how he's being caught up in this. And there's false teaching that exists that says, well, if you, if you serve God enough and you pray enough and you do the right thing enough, then God is going to protect you from every difficulty. That's false. I, I could sit down with you for just a few minutes and show you how every person in the Bible who served the Lord faithfully, they suffered. That's just the reality. In fact, we read in Psalm 34, verse 19, Many are the inflictions of the righteous. I wish it said a few are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, or here and there are the afflictions of the righteous. No, it says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Please understand that each and every believer will be delivered. You know, as we kind of travel through this life and we get knocked around, please remember that from the heavenly perspective, it says on kind of you as the package, it says out for delivery. You and I are out for delivery, right? And it feels a little bit like we're being thrown in the back of a UPS truck and we're left there on somebody's porch and someone else is taking us and all of these things are happening to us. But the reality is the day is coming when you and I will be delivered and we've experienced this. We've experienced deliverance in the past. We're going to experience deliverance in the future. But there's going to be this ultimate deliverance that's talked about by John in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. This is the new heaven and the new earth. And it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That day is coming. No more fear, no more pain, no more tears. Here's the problem that you and I have. That day is not today. You and I get frustrated so often as believers because we have this mistaken idea that this should be heaven. It's not. This is the battlefield. A.W. Tozer, and he wrote many books, and one of his books was about how the, the Christian life was a battleground, not a playground. So we have to realize that. That day is coming, and I'm going to look forward to that in hope, but that day is not today. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fight today. All right, let's look at verses 7 and 8 now of Psalm 64. It says, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow, and suddenly they shall be wounded, and he will make them stumble over their own tongue, and all who see them shall flee away. So, so God is going to bring his judgment, but please understand, God brings his judgment in his timing. God brings his judgment in his timing. Again, this is where we kind of fall into tyrant mode. We're upset with God, we're frustrated with God because he doesn't bring the judgment that we think people deserves in the timing that we want it to happen. And, and so instead, we should say, okay, I know judgment is coming upon them, but it's gonna have to be when, when God's judgment, when God decides, when God chooses. He's the boss, not me. Verses nine and 10 says, all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God for they shall wisely consider his doing." The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. Okay, so what's, what he's saying is when God does judge, then it's going to usher in the fear of the Lord. It's going to usher renewed trust in God. That when, when we see God, when he chooses in his divine timing to judge evildoers, then believers are encouraged and strengthened in this. And so, so I, I would encourage you to take note of the end of those who have lived in rebellion. You know, I, I would encourage you to take note of the ends of people like Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler 
and Joseph Stalin and Karl Marx and, and all of these different individuals who chose to dedicate themselves to a life of ungodliness. Frederick Nietzsche and others. Look down the list and see the end. Take note of God's judgment and flee that destiny. Now, I want to have you turn for just a moment. Would you turn to Psalm 73? We're going to kind of expand on this just a moment before we move on to Psalm 65. So Psalm 73, you shouldn't have to turn too far in your Bibles. And as you turn to Psalm 73, if, if you find yourself today in a place of discouragement, as you look around at the world, maybe you spend too much time on the news. Maybe you just kind of let it play in the background in your house, and you wonder why you're always in a bad mood. <laughs> turn the TV off. <laughs> So, so if you find yourself in that place and you say, oh, I just, man, I just can't believe it. So much bad's going on. How bad's gonna, God going to let it be? And, and you forget the words of Jesus when he said, when the Son of Man returns, will we find faith on the earth? <laughs> you forget all those things that I would encourage you to realize you're not alone. You and I are not the first Christians in human history that have been discouraged by our age, been discouraged by what's going on. And so this is where Asaph was in Psalm 73. And it's one of my favorite Psalms and it always helps reset me. Asaph was so frustrated by the wicked prospering that he was just kind of losing his mind about it. And we're going to kind of pick up in verse 12. So, so this is where he, he says in verse 12, he's kind of been going on and on about how the, the unbelievers get away with everything. Start, let's pick up in verse 12. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease and they have increased in riches. And so this is the end of what he's basically been saying about it pays to be evil. It pays to do the wrong thing. They get away with it. They got all the beautiful women. They got the money. They got the clothes. They got all of those things. And so look at how frustrated he is in verses 13 and 14. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. He says, it's been a joke to follow the Lord. It's ridiculous. I tried to do the right thing. I got beat up for it. It's not working. You know, the Lord chastens me while the wicked get away with whatever they want to. That's how he's feeling. And notice this verse 15. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So in other words, he realizes now he's going to get some clarity and we'll talk about that. He realizes this was a wrong attitude. This was a wrong perspective. I was seeing things merely on this level, on the horizontal. I wasn't looking at the vertical. And so he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He, can't figure, he couldn't figure it out. He was upset. He was thinking of leaving the faith. And so here's the key. Because if you're in that place today and you're just like, well, I just can't make sense of this world and I can't make sense of all these things, here, here's the key for you. Here's where you need to go. Notice verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. You and I are so confused because we spend very little time with God. You and I are so confused because we're baptized in a world that is under the sway of Satan. If you and I want to see things rightly, we got to get with God. But, but let me warn you, if you spend time with God, he's going to wreck some things in your life. He's going to hard restart some things. He's going to take things down to the studs. But notice, once he got to that place, once he was there with God, once he understood reality, then he moves on to verse 18. He says, surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. He says, they're the ones that are in trouble. They're the ones who are unstable. He says, oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you, you shall despise their image. And so he's saying that's the end of the ungodly. Now, there's, you, someone could look at this and say, well, isn't God a big meanie? God, he's just taking down the ungodly. Here's what God says in Ezekiel, that he does not de desire the death of the wicked. God does not desire the wicked, but he says that the wicked should turn from their evil ways and live. And so that's God's heart. God's heart is that a person would lay down their arms and turn to him and find the fullness of life that they were looking for. Because the reason why you and I go off into sin is because we think that's where life is found. You know, that life is found in this thing that I, if I could just do this thing, but what we find is it's actually death is there. The thing we're looking for is in God. That's where life is found, and he's willing to receive anyone who comes to him through his son. 
Let's turn back now and move on to Psalm 65. Looking at verses 1 through 3 here, well, let's the intro. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. And then let's look at verses 1 through 3. It says, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. All right, so there's, there's three things I just want to bring out from these first three verses. The first thing is the Lord is to be praised. Notice, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. And so God is to be praised, that we should praise God. This is right. Now, here's the good thing about praising God. It doesn't matter how you and I feel about it. Because if we wait and say, well, I'm going to praise God when I feel good, when everything's going right, then we're probably not going to praise him very much. But it's just always right to praise the God. And what's, what's interesting is you and I, when we often praise God, and we just choose to do that, then it's funny, our feelings will come alongside that. As we begin to, by, by just an act of the will to praise God, then what happens, he begins to change our feelings. He changes our emotions, and we enjoy that. Second thing here is the, that I want you to see from these first three verses is that the Lord hears the prayer of his children. Notice he says, to you will hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. And so this, this idea that we see all throughout the scriptures, right, is God is willing to hear the prayer of his children, that they have access to him. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except through me. But anyone who comes through him can get to the Father. And so you and I have this great opportunity to get to God in the, in the midst of our messes because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And the third thing here we see is that the Lord atones for our sin. Notice he says, in verse 3, you will provide atonement for him. It's this idea of the Old Testament of covering for sin, covering over sin. But in the New Testament, it's, it's actually that, that our sin is cleansed from us. So I, I would encourage you to take some time this week. And don't go too deep in it, but just kind of on a surface level, think about just how much sin you've committed, okay? And then to think about, man, as long as I live, I'm still to some level going to commit sin. And then to think about all of that sin in total was taken care of at the cross. That every bit of it, every bit of sin was taken care of at the cross. And so, so that should give you encouragement. There's a reason to be thankful right there. There's a reason to praise right there. All right, let's move on to verse 4 now. He says, blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts and we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. So it's an interesting imagery here, again, of like coming to there, the, the tabernacle in the time of David, coming to worship the Lord. And so there's a few ways to look at this. This could refer to the priests, right? The priests were blessed. The priests were blessed by being able to come near and minister to God, and what a wonderful privilege that was. A second way of interpreting verse 4, it could refer to the Messiah, that the Messiah was the one who, who God brought near, who, who offered on behalf of the people through his death on the cross. But a third way to look at it, and the way that I prefer, is to look at it as the believer, that you and I as believers are people whom God chose to approach him. I mean, think about that. Think about that God chose you from eternity past so that you might come to him, so that you might have relationship with him, so that you could dwell in his courts. That idea of dwelling means of like hanging out. We've all been to someone's house and they couldn't wait for us to leave, <laughs> right? They were waiting for us. They, they kind of make the nonchalant look at the clock, you know, and try to figure out when you're going to go home. That's not God with us. God wants us to dwell with him, hang out with him, to spend every moment of every day with him. And then notice, it says, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. God wants us to be satisfied in him. God wants us to, so I, I want you to think about this for just a moment. And, and maybe, again, I'm giving you lots of assignments, but I'm a school teacher by trade, and so that's what I do. I want you to go home today, and I want you to think about the ways that you've already experienced heaven. Okay, because you've already experienced it, I guarantee. There's been a moment, and maybe one of the moments I think of often is when my kids were little, and we were all at the beach in the waves, and we're there just laughing and playing together, and I experienced heaven in that moment. 
I experienced a moment that I didn't want it to end. There was peace. There was joy. I was with the people that I loved. And I've experienced that. And so you and I as believers have experienced those moments where it's kind of the the veil between heaven and earth is thin. And God allows us to experience that moment to give us that hope to spur us on to what's coming. And so, so one, one more thing I want you to get from verse 4 very quickly, though, is this reminder always, God is the initiator and we're the responders. God is the initiator and we're the responders. Please understand that. Because if you ever think that you're the initiator and God's a responder, well, then it's up to you to keep yourself in his good favor. It's up to you to make sure that he keeps love you. No, 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 no. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. While we were off on our own, God sent his spirit to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment so that we might turn to him. I was talking with one of my good friends, Pastor Dan. We were FaceTiming on Friday, and we both just, you know, like the couple of old men we are, we got teary-eyed over the FaceTime as we're talking about things. As we both came to this realization or the remembrance that as much of a mess as we are today, God knew that when he saved us. That God was willing to save us knowing the mess that we would be, the unfaithful people that we'd be, the mistakes that we'd made. He still chose to love us. And that's true for us. It's true for you. That, that knowing all of the mess that you are, that, that God loves you, he initiated. And you know what? It, he's, it's not a one-time initiation. It's a moment-by-moment initiation. That moment-by-moment God says, you're free to come in. You're free to have a relationship. You're free to talk with me. You're, you're free to respond to my leading. Let's move on to verses 5 through 7 here. It says, By awesome deeds and righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the waves, the noise of the waves, and the tumult of the peoples. And so there's a few things to notice here. One is that God answers his people in his timing. Right? It says there, by awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us. And that's a clear testimony of scripture. That God answers prayer, but God answers in his timing. Another thing to notice from these verses is that God is the creator. Creation belongs to him. That's one of the greatest lies in human history is that everything came together from nothing. Just, there was nothing, and then there was everything. And everything belongs to no one, so everyone's free to do what they want. No, no, no. Creation belongs to God. It all belongs to him. And then also, I want you to notice again in verse 7, God stills the waters. It says, you still the noise of the seas and the noise of their waves. And that's a really important for us because as we see this, as we're reading through the Old Testament, this should send off alarm bells in our mind and say, hey, I've seen this somewhere. Where has God in human history stilled the waves? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4 for just a moment. Mark chapter 4, as you're turning there, We come to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, incarnate God, 100% God, 100% man, he is the fullest revelation of God. If you want to know what God is like, then go back to Jesus. And, And so here we have Jesus proving that he's God by fulfilling what only God can do, as David talks about in Psalm 65. So Mark chapter 4, let's look at verses 35 through 41. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. This is very important for us to consider because as we think about the fact that God is going to not only allow storms, we, this clear testimony of scripture is he's going to take us into the storm. Notice, they're about to encounter a storm. Whose idea was this? This was Jesus' idea. Jesus says, and let's cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and at other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already feeling, filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. This is also important for Sunday afternoon that you can take a nap because Jesus took naps, Right? <laughs> He was asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is us. 
Anytime that we're in a struggle, a, a storm, maybe an illness, that's our, that's our go-to attitude. Don't you care about me? Don't you care about me that I'm dying? Don't you care about these things? And, and we, we automatically, because God allows us to be in a storm or takes us into a storm or does whatever you think for his eternal purposes, for his eternal good, don't you care that I'm perishing? And then he arose, notice what he does, and he rebuked the wind and said to the, to the sea, peace, be still, or it could be translated, be muzzled. <laughs> he, he tells the storm, be muzzled, shut it. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. There's often this, yeah, I want to say stupid. I shouldn't say stupid from the pulpit, but I'll say it. I already said it a couple times. This stupid idea that Jesus never claimed to be God or did things that, that only belonged to God. He did. He, he, stall, he, he, he calmed the storm. He calmed the waves. And then notice after he does that, after he shows that he is God in human flesh, once again, verse 40, and he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? <laughs> it's like, guys, y'all are some fishermen. Don't you expect there are going to be some storms? Don't you realize who's in the boat with you? And, and so, so it's important for us to understand this. That not only is, is Jesus God, and that's obviously primary, but he's also the one who takes us into the storm. He's the one who calms the storms. He does all of these things. And notice, the, the disciples start kind of cluing in, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, it's God. And, and the reason why I spent some time on that, as you turn back now to Psalm 65, I just, I always love that. It's, it's one of the, you know, I would say for many people, it's one of the favorite stories in the scriptures. Uh, it's a wonderful story. But I also want to try to train you, train me to get in the habit of when we read stuff in the Old Testament to say, huh, that kind of reminds me of something Jesus did. And so, so to have that kind of attitude that we're tying the scriptures together, that we're not like, well, you know, the Old Testament, that was for then, and the New Testament is for now. But to say all of scripture is inspired by God, all of it's profitable, and so how can I understand it better? All right, let's move on to verse 8 of Psalm 65. It says, They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. Now, I don't have a whole lot from this verse. I don't know, I'm not sure the exact meaning of what David was going for here. But this talk of mornings and evenings just make me think about the sunrises and the sunsets. Now, there's a lot about the Permian Basin to complain about topographically. <laughs> and I've done it from the pulpit countless times. But one thing that we do have going for us are sunrises and sunsets. And so I would encourage you to train yourself that when you see a sunrise, and you say, like, that's never going to happen for me. <laughs> uh, for those of you who will see a sunrise, and for all of us probably will see a sunset, to train yourself to actually put your phone in your pocket and just look at it for a few minutes. Just look. And just think about how the creator of the universe set things up in the ways that he does so that every morning and every evening you could just have a beautiful display. That you could have some art that you don't pay for. That, that you could have that and you could be reminded of, hey, God's an artist. God's a creator. He does these wonderful things and I get to partake of that. And, and I think that if you and I spend some time doing that, our, our heart's going to be lifted up in praise to him. All right. Let's continue on now. Verses 9 through 13. It says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. So this is a reminder that God is creator, that God is provider, that God is sustainer. That, that all of those things belong to God. I love how James put it in James chapter 1, verse 17. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you, if you were to take some time to sit down and think about all the good gifts you've received in your life, just all the blessings you've had, you know, that, that year when I was a little kid and I got the two F-14 G.I. Joe Tomcats, <laughs> 
I got two of those one Christmas. My only problem was I was kind of small and it was kind of hard to carry both at the same time. But that was a memorable time. But, you know, those gifts were from the Lord. That that good gift was from him. So please understand that. I don't have time to turn there, but uh, you can write it down and look at it later. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. It talks about how God has revealed himself through creation. That everybody knows there's a God through creation. And that if we refuse that truth, if we suppress it, then, then the wrath of God will rest on us. And one thing that's so important about that is if, if you read it, and there in Romans chapter 1, it says that they weren't thankful. They weren't thankful. So you and I, the quickest way to drift away from the Lord is to be unthankful. Is to choose to not have gratitude, to, to choose to say, well, you know what? I don't care about that sunrise. I don't care about that sunset. I don't care about the food on the table. You know, it's funny. We, you know, we had to boil water for two days. All of a sudden, I'm praising the Lord for water. <laughs> Lord, thanks for the, that we have water. So, so it's important for us to, to, to have this attitude of like, well, God's provided all these things for me. All right, let's move on to Psalm 66 now. We see here to the chief musician a song, a psalm. And let's move through the four, first four verses. Four verses. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works through the greatness of your power. Your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. And they shall sing praises to your name. Selah. Okay, now, now imagine... If, if this is how everybody on planet Earth got up tomorrow and they said, you know what, I'm going to, Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to live my life like this. This is going to, this is how I'm going to dedicate myself this day to doing this thing. What a wonderful world it would be if everybody's praising. Now, it's interesting because some of us may think, well, I'm not really a person who praises. You know, you're a person who praises. I'm really not. That's not what I'm, I want to read for you what C.S. Lewis had to say about praise. He said this, quote, But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, he said, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise, readers praising their favorite poets, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. And that, that is so insightful, and that's one of the reasons I love C.S. Lewis so much is, is he just, these, these things that you never thought about, he brings out and you realize that's true. Think about anything that you've loved, you praise it. You and I are made to praise. We praise what we enjoy. If, if we try some new restaurant and we ordered a dish there that we loved, we have to tell people about it. You know, and some people will even have to take a picture of it and put it on social media. We do that naturally. If we have a new show that we've been watching, we want other people to watch that show. We want to talk to them about that. If we have a song that we love, we we send them a link to it and say, hey, listen to this song. That's just how we're built. We praise what we enjoy. So if you and I are not praising God, it proves that we're not enjoying him. If you and I find ourselves right now at this moment in our personal history and we're not praising God, it's because we're not enjoying him. And so the good news about that is there's a remedy because we know the problem is not with God. We know that God is always eminently praiseworthy. We know that the angels praise him night and day. We know that we're going to be praising him in one way or another for all of eternity future. So what should we do? How can we remedy this? Well, the answer is found for us now in verses 5 through 7. Let's look at it. Come and see the works of the Lord. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land, and they went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. How how are we to begin to rejoice in God and enjoy God so we might praise God? Is get back to his works. Look at his works. 
Look at what he's done in creation. Look at what he's done. Read the Bible with an open heart. Read the Bible. And here's what I encourage you to say is say to God, Lord, I don't feel like praising you right now, but I want to feel like praising you. I don't enjoy you right now, but I want to enjoy you. Do you not think that God will answer that prayer? Do you not think that God will say, you know what? I don't think so. I don't want you to enjoy me. You think God is sitting there with crossed arms in heaven? You, his child who he created and sent his son to die for you, that he doesn't want to have a relationship with you? That he doesn't want to enjoy fellowship with you? And so I would encourage you to, to with a believing heart, come to the word of God and, and, and just allow it to overflow you. But don't stop there. Read and listen to the testimony of believers throughout the ages. Read books, listen to books on miracles, on, on lives that God used. Feed your faith. Don't feed your unbelief. This world makes money off of yours and my unbelief. It, it gives us a steady diet of all the reasons we shouldn't believe. Well, you know what? Change your diet. So I, I'm not going to listen to these people. You know, if, if I knew there was somebody that had a terrible marriage, I'm not going to go to them for marital advice. I'm going to go to somebody who's doing it. And I'm going to go to them and say, look, so you and I, when we look for answers from those people who don't have any answers, whose lives are a mess, who are confused and lost, it's no wonder that we get confused. As, as I was putting together this study and I was thinking about this thing, the imagery that came to my mind was Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, where there's Eve hanging out at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But before we're too quick to judge Eve, that's us. When you and I spend our time being instructed by the unbelievers of this world, we're hanging out at the tree. We're saying, ah, oh, you know what, I, I really, you know, God's way of doing things and, you know, the great men and women, the Amy Carmichaels and the Corey Ten Booms and the, the Apostle Pauls and C.S. Lewis and all them, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to all these people who don't have a clue what they're doing, who because of the shape of their bodies, they have a show on TV. I should watch them. And then we wonder, why am I not thinking rightly? Why can't I understand what life is supposed to be? Why am I so confused? Because we've sought counseling about life from people who don't have a clue what's going on. I use a little term that my dad used, and hopefully it's not too crass from the pulpit. My dad used to say about some people, he says, they can't find their butt with both hands. <laughs> I love that saying. And in all due respect, we go to get counsel about life from people who can't find their butt with both hands. And Jesus said about those people, Jesus, you know, does things better than I do. He says they're the blind leading the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. Stop giving your time, attention, money to people who don't know what they're doing. You have a choice. Go to those who know what they're doing. And so if you leave today and you say, you know what, Steve doesn't know anything about life. Steve doesn't understand the scriptures, Steve's not teaching me, then I would be the first one to say, go to someone who does know. Leave me. If you don't find in me the words of wisdom, the scripture says to depart from me. But if I'm telling you the truth, and if it hits you wrong, as Paul said, am I your enemies now because I tell you the truth? I'm challenging you on this because this is what the Lord is challenging me, and I'm challenging you because I love you. I, I love each and every one of you, and I want you to live a life with the Lord, not merely once you get to heaven, but now. Eternal life starts the moment you're born again. And so I want you to enjoy that life with him right now. Verses 8 through 9. It says, Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. So again, this is a reminder to praise the Lord. Right, And that as long as we remain among the living, we remain stable, how? Through God's provision and allowance. So, so you know, there's this tendency among believers, and, and I would encourage you guys to, to, to read, if you want some devotionals, to read My Utmost for His Highest. Okay, it's by Oswald Chambers. It's, it's super helpful. But, you know, he talked in there, the devotional for today, he says our idea is like, well, Lord, I just want to die for you and go to be with you. And understand that, right? But he says what the Lord really wants us for us is to live for him, 
to live every day for him, to, to serve him, and so to God will, will keep us here strong in him. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 now. It says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, and you brought us out to rich fulfillment. And so I'm going to have to move quickly through here since we're running low on time. But what I want you to see in verses 10 through 12 is that God is our master refiner. That God wants to refine us. Now, what refining does is it's uncomfortable. If you view yourself as this metal that God wants to refine, but there's impurities in the metal, so it has to, the process of heating up and scraping off. Now, now we ask ourselves and say, well, why does God want to refine us? Well, God wants to refine us so that we become pure. God wants to purify us. Why? So we can have better relationship with him. You and I have all been in relationships where there's something blocking the relationship. There's something that's causing a problem. And so we can't have unhindered relationship because there's something in the way. God wants to purify out of us all of those things so that we might have as close a relationship with him as possible. That's what he wants. That's the key to life. Let me give you a couple of verses to to write down, to take note of. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, We also glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Christianity, it's not a microwave faith. It takes time. So we have these tribulations and that tribulation causes us to persevere. And as we persevere, it causes us to have character. And as we have character, it causes us to have hope. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is actually working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And we'll have to, so so these, these afflictions, difficulties, hardships that God is allowing or bringing into our life right now is for the express purpose that he might give more glory to us later. It's incredible. I don't have time to turn there, but it's a couple more for you. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, you know, talks about glorying in our tribulations. And then First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, talks about the refining. So over and over again, we see this in the scriptures, that this is what God wants for us. He wants to refine us to, to make us more like Christ. But as we continue on there in verse 12, I want you to notice that ending again. He says, you've brought us out to rich fulfillment. Through all this difficulty, through all this hardship, through, through all this pain, you've brought us to rich fulfillment. That, that phrase, rich fulfillment, in the Hebrew, it actually means abundance, satisfaction, saturation. That's what God wants for us. That, that God is bringing this into our lives. And it reminds me of Romans 8.18 that says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That promise that when we get to heaven, we're not going to care at all about the trouble we went through. It's not going to be worthy to be compared. And then Romans 8.28, of course, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All right, home stretch. Verses 13 through 15 says, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals and the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Selah. So David's going to offer what he promised. But as we look at this and we say, well, that's not us anymore. How can I apply verses 13 through 15 to my life? What are the sacrifices that I can offer? I want to give you three scriptures that talk about the sacrifices that you and I can offer to God. The first scripture is Psalm 51, verse 17, where David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You bring to God a humble, broken heart, a humble and broken spirit, God will receive that. God loves that because God works with broken people. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Romans 12.1 is another offering. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we just offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We get up in the morning and say, I am your living sacrifice. Let me live for you today. Now, the problem with living sacrifices is that they crawl off the altar. (laughs) 
And so the challenge for you and I is to stay on the altar. It's to be moment by moment walking in the spirit and saying, Lord, I know when that guy cut me off, I crawled off the altar. <laughs> and I, I asked forgiveness, will you put me back on there? I want to be a living sacrifice for you. And then Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Therefore, by Jesus, let us continually offer, here it is, the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So that when we praise God, when we thank him, that's a sacrifice of praise that he receives. So these are wonderful ways that we can offer to God. All right, last section, verses 16 through 20. It says, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Three final lessons from David here. Number one is praise the Lord in the presence of others. Praise the Lord in the presence of others. It's great to praise the Lord on your own. It's, it's great, you know, Sometimes like a crazy person, I like to put in my AirPods and worship the Lord as I walk the streets of my neighborhood. And, you know, they may think I'm crazy and, and they're right. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we need to also praise God around other people. It encourages each other to hear people praise the Lord. It encourages us. And I, I'm under the, the belief that we should start preparing for heaven now. You, you don't want to get to heaven and you're like, how does this whole thing work? <laughs> Start practicing for heaven now. That's going to be a place of unbroken fellowship and worship with God in any number of ways. Let's start doing that right now. Second thing here is confess your sin to him. Notice he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so unconfessed sin hinders prayers. Men, the scripture makes it clear that, that if, if you are treating your wife poorly, if you have bitterness against her, if any of these kind of things, it says that your prayers will be hindered. And I've experienced this. I've treated Brandy poorly countless times over our marriage because of my own sinfulness and selfishness, and I've experienced that hindered prayer. So what we need to do is we need to confess these sins to the Lord so that we might have that unbroken fellowship with him. And the third and final thing that I want you to be reminded of is that God wants to hear your prayers. God is inviting you in. God wants to be in relationship with you. But please understand, as you leave this time and you go back out into the battle, that this world is stacked against us. This world wants you to believe that God's not there and he doesn't care about you. And, but, but I want you to you know, remember this moment. And, and I hope that you have experienced the spirit of the Lord today. I hope that in this moment, when you get out among all the messes of this world, you can say, hey, you know, I, I may not feel like it right now, but I remember in that moment as I was listening to the word and God spoke to me about this thing, that, that, that God is real. We're in a fight, guys. We're in a battle every day. But you know what? The day is coming when the, the battle is going to be over. And we can look forward to that and, and, and be excited about that day. But as we close, I just want to challenge you and I, is will we commit to a hard restart? Those areas of our life, because I, I would bet all the future money I will ever make that the Lord spoke to you about something today. And maybe it wasn't that thing that you wanted him to speak to you about. Maybe it was something that you're like, oh, that's a little too close for comfort. That's, a little some, that's something I want to hold on to. Uh, the, the, the Lord has spoken to you, and I would encourage you in the power that he provides to commit to that restart, to be willing to let go of whatever it is that is hindering your relationship with him because he wants to invite you in. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to prepare your heart for heaven, and he has a great work and plan for you today.